Hey legends, my name is Mo and welcome to the Can't Can World podcast. I'm a Royal Marine who is dedicated to optimizing human performance and want to bring you exposure to the fantastic people supporting the same aim. In this episode, I speak to an incredible athlete who through a lifetime of adversity was able to represent his country at the London 2012 Olympic Games, earning a bronze medal. We talk about his career, adversity, and how he uses his story to inspire others to be better tomorrow than today. This episode has been sponsored by Discreet Chaos. Head over to their Instagram at Discreet Chaos and use the promotion code CANTCANWILL21 to receive a 10% discount on all clothing. Episode 8, Anthony Agogo. So mate, I hear that you was a bit of a football footballer when in your younger days, is that right? Yeah, I did a bit. I did a bit, mate. I was, um, listen, there's, there's a lot of things I'm not very good at. But as a kid, I was... Um, Clever at school, which is which I think all kind of feeds into the same thing. I was very competitive, always wanted to be the best, so I always worked really hard at school to wanted to be the clever kid. Um, and I was really good at sports. And like any, I was that annoying kid that in year six I could we could do badminton in PE, and I'd be beating the teacher by the first time I ever picked up a badminton racket. I was doing that and doing that. So um, yeah, I mean, like I said. There's a million things I cannot do, but growing up as a kid, I was very lucky and fortunate that the things I liked, the competitive things, the sporty things, I was I was always good at. So, was that something that like your parents like encouraged or pushed you into? Like, why why do you think you were? Is that a natural ability? Why do you think that, that was the case? Not pushed, not not pushed. Uh, so I grew up um, quite unique uh, upbringing, but we all have unique upbringings. Um, but mine was quite unique. I grew up. No dad around, my mum, I've got four sisters, so a house full of women. Um, I, I don't know why, we're, we're all really sporty. And uh, my mum isn't at all, so it's not from her genes, but um, said dad was never around, but I don't think he particularly was either, but all really sporty kids. And my mum was always like, we could not hang around on street corners. So that's when we were not allowed to do that. So she'd, my mum, you know, most inspirational person in my life, my hero would, she worked her backside off uh, full time doing this job and that job and that job to provide for us and to support us and to drive us to this club and that club and that club and that club. So we just could not, we, we could not hang around on the street corners. And you now from a young kid, I was always very competitive. I wanted to win, I loved winning. Um, yeah, maybe you can kind of, maybe you can like, you know, delve down deep into one psyche and say that I wanted to be, be successful. I wanted to win because I wanted attention because at home I lived, had four, there's five of us and I had one parent and her attention was obviously divided between all, all five of us and my dad wasn't around and maybe I wanted love and attention from somebody and I thought if I was, if I was good at something, I, I would get that. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really know. All I know is as a kid, um, I was good at sports. I liked doing it. And um, yeah, and kind of, I always knew that that was going to be like the arena I was going to live my life in because they gave me something, you know, they just gave me something. What was it about sports that you, that you liked? Um, I just, you know, so I played football, as you mentioned, I played for Norwich up until under 14 and, and I played, for, I was captain of my county all through the years. Um, and I love football. Uh, I love football. Like most kids, like, you know, most like boys want to, Grow up and play for you know their their team, uh, and as I was a kid, I'm a big Norwich fan. As a kid, I wanted to play for Norwich, and then joined Man U, 
know, win the Champions League. So I was, as a kid, as a kid, I was quite realistic. Like, Norwich aren't going to win the Champions League anytime soon. So if Norwich join Man U, so you use them as a stepping stone to get to where you want to go. But, 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 but let me finish. So join Norwich, two or three burgeoning years, come through, banging goals in, like just like tearing up the Premier League. Go to Man U, four or five years. Go to Juve. I always love Juventus. Go to Barcelona. Come back to Man U for a couple of years. And then like early early to mid-30s, as I'm winding it down, come back to Norwich and then take us to unparalleled heights. So, so always, how, what age were you thinking about doing this? Uh, so uh, let's, if we're going to do it, let's do it properly. So breakthrough of 17, because I'm a precocious talent. 19, get my big money moves. So two big years in, in, in Norwich, learning the trade, banging goals in. Maybe the first year we're in a championship. I got up to the Premier League. One year in Premier League, we do well, we survive. I get a big move to Man United. I begrudgingly go because Norwich is my club. I go to Man United, 19 years old. I'm there still 25. Six years there. I have a bust up of Alex Ferguson. <laughs> I then go to Juventus. For a year in Juventus, win the Champions League. I have a, I'm not happy there. My wife doesn't like Italy. We go to Barcelona, have a year there. I win the Champions League, top goal scorer, and have a bust up of a player. I come back to Man U uh, three more years. So I do my 10 years in Man U, get my testimonial. Blah, blah, blah. Then at 33, after maybe a, a bad injury, Man U are like, look, we don't think you've got it anymore. You know, we're going to sell you back to my hometown club. Go back to Norwich. Now, Norwich, maybe we were in, maybe we were in League, League One. Maybe we've had a bit of fall from grace. And I'm the charismatic talisman. I've gone from up front to midfield. I've lost a yard of pace. But I've still got the vision, still got the engine, drop into midfield. My claws back up to the championship, get promoted. Again, championship, Premier League, get promoted. And then my last year at the club, we, we, we stay in Premier League and we win the FA Cup. Then I, <laughs> then I retire. So that was, that, that was my thought process as a kid. So, so what, what age were you when you were thinking this? I mean, that's like pretty clear vision, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been, um, this is what, up until, up until I was 12. I've been, um, I am very driven as a human being. I think that, that is the reason why I've been successful in my life. I've, I've achieved lots of, lots of success. And also, when I have hit rock bottom, and I have hit rock bottom numerous times, that same drive has got me out of rock bottom and back on the arc to success again. And I'm on that, I'm very much on the arc now. I was 18 months ago, I'd never been as low as I as, as I was. Um, so I've been very driven. So that drive come, stems from me being a kid. Um, so that football uh, journey was up until I was 12 years old. When I was 12 years old, I started boxing. And for a couple of years, I ran boxing um, and football side by side. I also swam to a national level. Um, I just love winning. I love competing. Love winning. But when you now when things got difficult, and I had to start missing the odd Norwich game, the odd Suffolk game. Um, I never missed boxing. Boxing was always going to be the one for me. Reason being, boxing gave me something. I'm sure you're able to you know. Um, or maybe maybe you can, maybe you can't. I don't know. But um, boxing gave me something that the other sports didn't give me, because I remember like I've told a story in in other. Like podcasts in the past, and I boxed, and I played football, and I've done all this stuff. To go, but the weekend I knew that boxing was for me was on the Friday. I was fourteen on the Friday night. 
I won the British Championships, the NABCs in Retford in Nottinghamshire. Um, I lived in Lowestoft, the East Anglia. Lowestoft is the most easterly point in the UK. Yeah, I've been. I've got a friend that lives there. Which is our tagline. All that means is a pain in the ass to get to because it's so far away and it's a pain in the ass to get from, as you know. It's a long, long way away. So we got back to my house like two or three in the morning, later than that, both here, more like three in the morning, um, Friday night, national champion. I'd become English champion the year before. That's my first British championship. So I felt like I was on King and I was I was a 14-year-old boy on King of the World. I was like, I was on top of the world. I felt like I was king. The next day, so got it like three in the morning, Saturday morning, um, at 12 noon, we had a Suffolk match. I was captain of my county. We had over Hertfordshire or Bedfordshire. I can't remember which one. But I was at home in Ipswich. We had to be there at 10 a.m. for 12, for 12 noon kickoff. So got on about three, had my shower. I was buzzing still. I had some chocolate because I just become the English British champion. Went to bed at, say, four, half past four. Woke up, I felt like a bag of shit. My neck was all sore, my face was all bruised. That was a really hard fight. I beat a lad called Stuart Reed, who was a Scottish champion, really top, top fighter. And um, but my back was, I was just like, I just had a fight the night before, and I was, I was like in pain, like I just had a fight the night before. Jumped in the car, went down to Ipswich, um, and tried to condense the story. At half time, we were 3 0 down, and I got back into the change room. And the manager went mad at all of us, but especially me being the captain. He fucking bollocked me. And he, he, he either called, he called me a C, he called me the C word, dropped the C bomb on me, right? I was a 14 year old kid. And I thought, you fucking prick. I'm sitting there. And we went down 1 0 because our left back, Grant, remember, on the corner, was twiddling with his. With his drawstring on the corner. So rather than marking the geezer, he's sitting there doing this. He goes up, heads in, we go one nil down. I gave him a wallaki in like at the time, because anyway, I wasn't playing great, but I was trying hard. Nobody was playing good, but I was trying hard. Anyway, so I came out of the change room and my uncle was there because my cousin Danny, he was right back for the team. So my uncle was there, he drove us down. I came out, face like thunder. Uncle Mark said to me, What's the matter? I said, Oh. Manager just fucking called me this and that. He had a pop at me. I'm fucking fuming. Anyway, so I played the second half. The final score was 4-1. I scored our goal. Um, played a bit better, but obviously we lost. Anyway, during the second half, Uncle Mark said to the manager, he said to him, look, he said, I'm having a bit of an off game, as everyone was, because last night he became British champion. Because they didn't know about my boxing because I kept that like to myself. And he said, look, that's why he's having a bit of an off game. To refer to a manager after the game, he, he pulled me to the side and said, I'm really sorry, mate. I had no idea. Oh, well done. Massive congratulations. Oh, well done. A great effort today. But that was, I sat on the car on the way home, <clears throat> pissed off because we'd lost. And I used to hate losing. And that was the day for me. I thought, I ain't doing this anymore. Like, like the night before, I was king of the world. Um, and it was all me. It was all down to me. And then the next day, we lost because the left back was tossing off on the corner. Um, and a bloke, even though I was trying so hard, a bloke had a go at me. Not necessarily, but it wasn't my fault. So what I'm saying is boxing, it always appealed to me. Like an individual sport appeals to me in my mindset because win, lose, or draw, it's your fault. Like if you win, you get all the success. You've got to share it with the rest of the team. And if you lose, it's your fault. You've got to go back to the gym, back to the drawing board, 
and get better and improve. And I like that sense of responsibility. You know, my career, my happiness, my success in my life is down to me. What um what was the reason why you started boxing in the first place? I started boxing twelve years old. Um, as I mentioned, I was I, I was a good sportsman or sports boy, sports kid, and then quite a funny story. Um, so we were playing football at lunchtime on the school field, like we did every lunchtime. Like back then, where I'm from, and at that age, like lunchtime football was life. I mean, if you won lunchtime football, you just you're king of the school for the next two hours, doing the same thing the next day. It was life. And then uh, we planned we planned single cuppy, so <clears throat> everyone against each other. And my two best friends, Adam and Aaron, were both left in. Adam was big, cool, good looking, all the girls fancied him, good at football, everyone liked him. Aaron was small, a bit of a nerd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he used to wear a backwards cap. He had he used to play football with his backpack on his back. Like everyone would take their backpack off and put it in the corner. He had on his back. Bit of a geek. Anyway, so Aaron, Adam, everyone thought Adam was going to win. Adam done a couple of skills, took a shot. He come off Aaron's leg into the top corner. So it was Aaron's goal, the small nerdy one. So he's running around giving it the Adam Shearer, like celebrating. And Adam had the arm. So, so Adam goes over to him and he shoves him. Aaron takes a massive back bump, rolls backwards. And he, uh, he got up here, don't do that. That's not very nice. We were 12, so we were like, we were kids. So Adam done again, shoved him again. This time his backpack opened, his lunch has come out of his bag. And, the, and Aaron got up, took his bag off, walked up to him. We've all gone around, oh, fight for us, like back in the day. Fight, 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 all around the big circle. They're both squaring up, right? And everyone thinks Adam, the big, cool, tough, hard one, was going to win. And like 25 seconds later, Adam, the big, cool, tough, hard one, was on the floor, crying his eyes out. Aaron just went, bam, 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 and smashed him. Everyone's going, Aaron, on the shoulders, Aaron, Aaron. And basically, he beat up Adam. This now, episode around, has been like, sponsored by Discreet Chaos. He goes, oh, Head over to their Instagram at Discreet no Chaos and use the promotion code CANTAMWILL21 to receive a 10% discount on all clothing. And yeah, and as a Wednesday, he said, there's a beginner session on tonight, like six or seven, I'm in the advanced class, seven to nine, but you can come tonight in the beginner session. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I went to Adam, who's on the floor, he's wiping the tears away. On his, the bell goes, everyone's walking to school, Aaron on, on everyone's shoulders. I go, Adam, I went, like, Aaron only won because he goes boxing club. So what we should do, go tonight, get really good, and you can fight him again tomorrow, then you'll win. He went, nah, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I said, go on, so if you do that, all the girls are going to fancy you again. He went, yeah? He went, yeah. He went, gone in. So the bell went from school, raced home, got my bicycle, bike to Adams. I went to the sports shop. I was so eager to go that I got a gum shield from the, from the independent sports shop. Like not realising you've got to mould a gum shield to your, to your mouth. I just got a big plastic thing, rubber th- orange rubber thing in my mouth. Got my bike, went to Adams' house, gave him a seat to bike to the gym. As I said, I walked in, walked in the gym. Before even throwing a punch, I walked in, I saw the posters on the wall, I smelled the smell, the aura, the feeling, and I just knew that that was where I was going to spend, you know, either my life or a large majority of my life in that in that environment. And, um, yeah, so that's how I got into boxing and um, going on a couple of years with a story when I jacked in football. I'm, I'm glad I did because 
I was a better boxer than footballer, probably. Although I do think I'd have made it as a footballer. I think I've got the Man maybe. United, Juventus. Was that was that realistic? Yeah, maybe that. Maybe those admissions were a little bit lofty. <laughs> I do think I generally, I generally do think that I, I had enough talent, but more than just the talent, the thing that displayed in my boxing career, like everything I've achieved in my life, I shouldn't have achieved it. Like I 100% overachieved in every every bench, every uh, corner, every every corner I've gone to, I've overachieved because I've had so many setbacks. And I've overcome such much bad stuff. And if I'd have felt uh, football as I did boxing, I know I'd, I'd have done the same. So I think I'd have made a, I'd have made a career. I'd, I'd have been a pro. What level? I don't know. Uh, probably not Barcelona and Juventus winning the Ballon d'Or. Probably not. But you never know. But I think I could have done okay. But I'm very happy I chose boxing because although it's much, much harder for sport and the money's not quite there, um, it gave me, it was, it was authentic to me. You know, it gave me, everything that I was yearning for, you know, that, that little kid inside me was yearning for at the time. He gave me that hand. Can you describe what, like, what the boxing environment's about? And you, know, you mentioned about the the smell of the gym and the the atmosphere and what what is it, the attraction, why so many people love boxing? What is, what is it about the sport that that you, you, you ended up becoming devoted to? Um... Well, for me, going back to that same, it was the winning. It was that, it was that combat. Me versus that person. Me and him, similar age, similar size, similar weight. Now I've got, a, I've got to out hustle. I've got to out hustle him, out work him, out maneuver him, out skill him. Sometimes just out dog him <clears throat> to win. Like it's that, it's 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 modern day gladiator stuff. Like. You've got to use your brains and your brawns to overcome your opponent. And that really appeals to me. <clears throat> There's no hiding place in the boxing ring. You can be a footballer, you can be a rugby player, you can be most other team sports and have an off day. Oh, I don't really fancy it today. It's a bit cold, you know, and have an, and, and hide a bit. And I've got I've got Premier League footballers that are my friends and they they, they hide sometimes. They don't want to play. <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not up for it. You can't do that in a boxing ring. There's no hiding place. It's you and your opponent. So it's, you, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I guess also teaches you a lot about yourself, teaches you a lot, like, in certain situations in life, what are you going to do? And I do, I, I do a bit of motivational speaking now. And um, because I talk about some of the, uh, the setbacks of achieve, of, of, of experience in my life and, and come back from and what it's, it's done to me. And there's this thing I say in my talks, like in boxing, it's 100% a, a, a microcosm of life. Things like when you get knocked down in boxing and when you get knocked down in life, oftentimes you do the same thing. You see a lot of boxers, they get knocked down or they take a body shot and you see them and you think, oh, no. If they really wanted to, they could make the 10 count and carry on boxing. You see them, you go, they just don't want to do it anymore. They, they, they don't fancy it. Same thing in life. Like when you get knocked down in life, oftentimes some people get up and they carry on fighting for that thing they want most of all. Yeah, some people, they get knocked down in life and they stay knocked down and they don't get back up, metaphorically. Do you think that is something that can be learned or do you think that is inherent in you to start with? Um, I've definitely learned, 100%. 100%. Um, and there's a lot to do with one's upbringing. Um, people I have respect for, I'm not even going to say this. I never liked him. I wanted to box him in the pros. People I have respect for um, in in this thing 
I, I really wanted to fight Chris Eubank Jr. in the pros. We never never happened. I hurt my eye and I had to retire, and then never happened. But I would love to punch his head in. However, I respect him because growing up, from from the outside perspective, I might I might be wrong here, but growing up looking at somebody like him, and there's loads of people like him in in the world. It's just one example. They grew up with a nice lifestyle, you know. He had everything given to him. Probably he had a famous dad, millionaire. He probably got everything he ever wanted. And to grow up with that silver spoon in your mouth and still be hungry as fuck to achieve yourself, I respect that. But I grew up with nothing. So I I desperately want to be successful because I saw my mum work her ass off, three jobs, raised five kids, all on her own. And I wanted more of my life than she had. And I, and I was yearning for that. And you see boxing, perfect example. You see so many, most successful boxers are working class come from nothing, very humble beginnings, and they want to buy them on my house. They want the Lamborghinis that, that, that they were told they could never have as a kid because they were poor or they were broke. Whatever. Um, so are you, that drive comes from that upbringing, in my opinion, I was exactly the same. You know, I didn't want to have the life that my mum had. So, I, so that was instilled in me, and I knew I was only going to get somewhere in life by working really hard and, and for fighting for, my, for what I want. So I started fighting both literally and metaphorically. Um, so I think definitely something you, you can learn. You're not born of it, you know. Um, and, you know, also how much you want it. Like how much, like, what are you prepared to, to put up with to get it? You know, like if you haven't sacrificed so much, I can't think of an analogy off the top of my head, but if you haven't sacrificed that much and you don't get it. Let's say you want to. Let's say you want to do a, a 5k, and you need to do it in a certain 25 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever the time is. And then you train twice, and you did it in 32 minutes. Ah, like, oh, a bit annoyed, but really, you didn't. You know, you didn't train hard, so you can't be that annoyed. Let's say you sacrificed your whole life. You trained. You ate right. You gave everything to running this 30 minute. 5k and you run it in 3007 and you didn't do it then you're gonna be crass for them because you gave your life to it you know you gave everything to it so it means more to you so i think i think you can definitely the more you give to something that intestinal fortitude that you have for it is definitely definitely higher so it's something you learn 100 i think you can learn it uh, you're not born of it people aren't born you know well maybe i don't know i think it's something that's a learned behavior how dedicated do you need to be to be a boxer? Uh, successful boxer. Yeah, I haven't played. Uh, I haven't played every sport in the world, but I played quite a few sports. But I think it's the most. You got, it requires more dedication than anything, any other sport, because because for example, me, I used to fight at middleweight, eleven stone six, uh, seventy two point five kilograms, one hundred sixty pounds. Um, I used to walk around at about. 13 stone. Um, so when I say walk around there, I was always in, in the gym. I was always in camp. I was always training really hard. Like I was always watching what I ate. I'm not a very big drinker. Um, so I was always on it. And me being on it, still watching my food and training hard, I'd be about 13 stone. But that's so the, the, the difference in weight loss, yeah? So you cut for a fight, is that right? Yeah, so even though, but what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, 
It's not like I just go, not like I'll, I'll do a Ricky Hatton and walk around eating pies and drinking beer and get the 13 stone, having to lose one and a half stones to make, to make 12 cents six. That, that'd be one thing. But I was already in camp, already dedicated, already training hard to level off a 13 stone. If I did it, I'd go up and up and up and up and up. So 13 stone, me training hard and eating well, anyway, that's get down to 11 stone six. So you had to lose a stone and a half every single time I used to fight. Um, lose, yeah, lose for set, like like nine kilos every fight. But it's not just losing the weight. It's, it's anybody can lose weight. You just, you, you, you burn more calories than you put in. That's quite a simple science. But it's about losing the weight and being strong at the weight and being able to perform at the weight and getting punched in the head and be able to be resilient enough to take a punch and fire back. So extremely dedicated, could be like, you know, because most athletes train hard. Like most athletes train hard. It's easy to train hard. You just wake up and train hard. You know, it's not hard to, to, to train hard. You know, it's simple. It's simple to train hard. If you're a sprinter, if you're a badminton player, if you're a rugby player, you wake up and train hard. Now you do that on as little as 400 calories a day, you know, losing weight, that now it's really hard. You're training really hard on a massively reduced calorie intake. That's hard. Then your body doesn't repair properly. You can't, you can't eat enough protein and, and carbs to repair. So your body doesn't repair. So you train harder and harder. So you're not training. So your, your energy levels are depleting. Your body doesn't repair. You get injuries. You get niggles. Whereas if you could replenish your body properly, you wouldn't get those injuries and niggles because your body's just weaker. And then you've got to go in and perform on fight night in front of 10,000 people on TV, on YouTube, be on YouTube for the rest of your life. So it's really, really hard, very dedicated. It takes a lot of discipline and, 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 and dedication to, to be an athlete for one, but a boxer. And if you ever need any, uh, you know, that to be kind of clarified, you get the fittest runner in the world. You can get a marathon runner in the world. And then you take them on the pads, the head pads, then they're going to be struggling because it's a different fitness. And then you put them in a sparring session with somebody who's actually hitting them back one thing hitting the bag, right? Hitting, hitting the pads, that's hard. But when you've got somebody hitting you back, you, you get tight, you get stiff, you, you lose your breath even quicker because you've got a, it's just a really unnatural situation to be in. So the fitness levels of boxers are unreal, you know. And as I said, you can you can you can you can prove that by taking your fittest runners, swimmers, and getting them in the ring of somebody, getting hit, and see how quickly they not can withstand the head punches, that's a different thing, but I see how quickly they blow a gasket because they're breathing heavy because they're getting punched, you know, mentally um, under the cosh. So, mate, you, at 14, you win the Brit, the, the junior British title um, and you then d- dedicate yourself to the sport of boxing. How quickly was your rise? Um, you went to the Junior Olympics? Yeah, pretty quick. I mean, um, there's loads of stuff we could talk about, but to get to the, to, you know, to the, meat and potato stuff. Yeah, I won the Junior Olympics as a as a 15-year-old. First one, I went to America uh, in Texas, won the Junior Olympics. Then I won the World Junior Championships in 2005, the following year. Then I won medals at European Games in all different, like, like multinational tournaments around the Kringy. And then uh, first bit first bit of adversity I suffered in my life, really, you know, my, my sporting career, was in 2008. Um, I won the ABA Championship, the British Championship. I was on the Go Britain team and I tore my left shoulder. That's so why I, I dislocated my left shoulder, tore my labrum. I 
a bad injury and I was out for a year. And then the week after surgery, I was at home and, and Terry Edwards, who's the, he was the performance director, so in charge of the Great Britain boxing squad, he ran me and he said to me, uh, we were moving you from the GB squad. They kicked me off the squad. His words were, you're no good to me injured. So although I was reigning junior number champion, junior world champion, just won the ABA championships um, and the best welterweight in the country, I got kicked off the Great Britain squad, missed the, 20, the 2008 Olympics. And um, so yeah, I couldn't even go to the qualifier to the 2008 Olympics. And then I was off the Great Britain squad. And like my whole life had been, like I mentioned the, the city football story I mentioned, like at that point, my vision was so clear, so clear that I was going to go to the Olympics in 2008. Mainly for experience, I was 18, maybe just turned 19. Good, and maybe hopefully get a medal and then see what happened. But mainly for experience, because my goal was always the 2012 Olympics, uh, 23 years old, physically mature. So just to explain the significance of that at that moment in time, because the Olympic cycle is four years. And obviously in 2008, that was four years before the London Games. And you was injured for a year of that, that um, pre-game cycle. You explain, as I said, explain the significance of being removed from the squad at that time because that's when they start looking at the who they're going to commit to for the next games. Hundred, yeah, hundred, yeah, mate. So, because um, I don't, I don't think that the the people listening to this would appreciate how far in advance of Olympic Games yeah. that squads are looked at and, yeah, the, and yeah. how crucial that timing is. Yeah, not just not just one cycle. Like, there's a lad going to be to Tokyo this year called Fraser Clark, headway Fraser Clark. He was eight when I joined the GB squad. So I'll come on to this bit in a minute, but I got back on the Great Britain team in 2010 um, after being out for 18 to two years on my shoulder, 18 months. 2010, Fraser Clark was a heavyweight boxer, 18 years old, really good lad, 18. He's going, 2010, he's going to Tokyo, Tokyo 2020, 2021, this year. He's been on a, on a GB squad for 10 years straight, 10 years on a GB squad. So it's not just like you turn up a year before and you want to go to the Olympic Games. This lad's been for 10 years on the squad. Um, you know, he's a good good boxer, but I mean, 10 years of getting the best training in the world. You now you ought to be a good boxer. Um, so yeah, you know, a long time in advance, but in 2008, uh, done my shoulder, kicked off. And up until that point, my vision was so clear. I'm going to go to the 2008 Olympics for experience. Go to London 2012. As one of my favourites, win a gold medal and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, being off the squad, I was gutted because my shoulder, with the, to the size of a woman pipe cleaner, um, I had to work in a bar for £5.85, a little shitty little pub in my hometown, for £5.85 an hour, just to pay for physio. Um, at this point, I had, so the Nigerian Boxing Federation uh, approached me. My dad was not, I've nothing to do with my dad my entire life uh, at all. He was Nigerian. So they approached me and said to me, this is 2009, they said, would I like to fight for Nigeria at the Commonwealth Games? And at this point, I was off the squad. I was a million miles away from the GB squad. I was injured. I couldn't throw a punch. If I wanted to, my arm was so damaged. Um, getting back on the team, looked a million miles away. Um, and it could have been easy route for me to say yes to that in, in the box. But that wasn't me. I was never, I'm not Nigerian. I'm 100% British. And I wasn't, that wasn't how, my, how I saw my future, how I saw my life. So I said, thank you, but no thank you. And I carried on working hard. And I got back on the team 
2010. Back on the GB squad. How did you manage to keep that? Was it the vision and the, the bloody mindness of what you wanted to achieve with, yeah. to overcome that that adversity and that in, in your I, life? That is that. Oh, I'll get on to much, much, much bigger bits of adversity. That was like a little blip. So, but basically, yeah, that drive, my belief, my self-belief in myself, like how hard I worked. Um, but yeah, my dream, my, my dream essentially, my, my anchor anchored me to get me up every single morning. I didn't want to go and box for Nigeria. I wasn't, that's cheating. It's not real. I wouldn't walk out there and there's not one box. I'll come on to a state. I can't, I can't, I'm going to start. So, great, 2010 was a good year. Uh, I ended the year by beating the world number one. Um, in India, uh, which is really good. In, Indian boxer, beat him in, in, in his backyard. 2011 was a fantastic... I was like the, the golden boy of the boxing squad in GB. I'd been off for 18 months, uh, fought my way back from a bad injury. And 19-year-olds don't really get injuries like that. Like, it was it was really unfortunate for me to get that injury. And I was like the Robin McCracken, the GB's coach. She would... I was the example. I'd be, we'd be in team meetings and Robin McCracken would be like, be like Anthony Agogo. I'd be like, oh, I get a bit embarrassed. Fucking hell, man. And then um, 2011 was a good year. And again, my vision, my dream, I saw it so clearly. 2011, I was well, beating the world number one. I was in 2012 Olympics, the first Olympics where they did uh, seed. They, they seeded boxes. So prior to that, it was um, random draw. And which means random draw. For example, when Amir Khan fought in 2004 in Athens, he he lost to Mario Kindland in the final, the Cuban. Wow, was it that long ago? 2004, yeah. Wow. Had he fought Kindland in the first round by the random draw to play them to get first round, he'd lost Amir Khan when nobody knew who he was, 17 years old. The fact he got, the fact they were on the opposite sides of the draw and they fought in the final, he became this huge star. So before that, so 2012 was the first year they were um, they were ran they were they were they were seeded, and my dream and this is my vision. So I was going to go to the Europeans. I was going to win the gold medal because I was the best middleweight in Europe at that point. Uh, get a load of ranking points as in the June. Go to the, the world championships in the October of 2011, which was the first world, which was the first Olympic qualifier. Also, get to the last eight. So the top eight of the world's qualified for the Olympics. So, so is that automatic qualification then? Yeah, yeah. So you get to the last eight in the world's qualify and go on and win a medal and get even more ranking points and secure enough ranking points from the Europeans in the world to be a seeded boxer at the Olympics, which basically mean you mean you avoided one of the big ones until the semi-final. Um, or they avoided you. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so that didn't quite happen. So I went to Europeans, first round, threw a punch against a Georgian. His arm was here, his arm was there. He went boom, and he dislocated my other shoulder. And to fight off by one arm, um, I lost by four by one point fourteen thirteen. I was gutted. One because um, one because I lost the fight and I didn't wasn't going to win a gold medal at the Europeans and get those ranking points. And secondly, um, this was much worse than that. And now I was out for a year with this one, and this shoulder is much, much, much worse in G. And I didn't have a year to, to, to do, I didn't have a year to be out because the Olympics were in exactly one year. And then the, next, the first qualifier was in October 
So a huge decision to make. Do I get the surgery done there and then, then rush to rehab and try to get back for this? There's two qualifiers back there in October and in April, Olympics are in July. Miss the October qualifiers, go to April qualifiers. Um, hopefully, hopefully it gets back in time for April. Hopefully I'll go there, hopefully I'll qualify in the Olympics. Or, and if, if I do that, then they'd have sent my number two, but the number two middleweight on the squad at the time is Callum Smith. Callum Smith is a really, really good boxer. He's gone on to have a great career, become world champions of pro, earn loads of money. I'll talk about him later as well. But I was the number one by a considerable distance. And I said, I wasn't going to leave my dream. I wasn't going to let anybody else go in and get my dream. As, if he'd have went, I don't think he would have qualified because he wasn't that good then. But I wasn't going to risk it. So I said, just, I want to go. So I rehabbed my shoulder possibly, possibly could in the three months. Went to the world. So no, no surgery then? No surgery. No, no surgery. Not then. No, I, I, I gambled thinking. What my gamble was, my gamble was, I was going to go to the world, qualify the first title. Then I had eight months before the Olympics. I was hoping in those eight months, get the surgery then. Um, so that was my plan. So I, I just I, I tried to strengthen my rotator cuff muscles as strong as possible to, 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 to take the weight of the labrum to damage and torn. Um, so I fought uh, a Korean to be him. My second fight, I fought a Russian who won the, the Europeans when I'd done my shoulder. He was really, he was really, really good. I beat him 10 points to nine by a point. But in round two, we were in a clinch. The reason why I was only 10-9 because I was bashing him up in round one. And in round two, he's got hold of me because I was just too fast for him. And he threw me to the floor. I fell down. My shoulder, my shoulder came out of the socket again. I had to pick myself up and my shoulder up with my other arm. I had to fight the rest of the fight with one arm. And I won the fight by 10-9. And that was the biggest fight. That was a bigger fight. That was a bigger win than me, for me, than the Indian fight win the year before. I've gone to celebrate and my arms come out of the socket again. And I had to fight again the next day to qualify. And I fought a Brazilian who's a southpaw. And I can't be asked to go into the specifics about southpaws and white hands, but basically only two punches working into southpaw, a straight right and a left hook. That's a long punch, left hook's a short punch. So that's got to land first for that lands. Uh, my shoulder was buggered, I couldn't throw the right hand. It was out of the socket, I couldn't throw it. And I lost, and at the final hurdle, I didn't qualify. And I was devastated, and I was gutted. And I flew home. The next day, I flew home on a Sunday. Monday morning, I was in surgery for the shoulder and I rehabbed like a monster. So it took me 12 months, this one. This one got back in four months. So rather than my arm being a sting for a month, it was out of the sting after 10 days. After a week, sorry, you're going to start getting full range after six weeks. I was getting full range after three weeks. I was doing things way early than I should have done, but I had no choice to, to get back. So to make the April qualifier. That's to get back for the qualifier, yeah. I mean, I was done to get back for the qualifier. <laughs> I got back for the qualifier. Um, I qualified. No, I fought. And my qualifying fight, I fought the same Georgian that popped my shoulder six months before. Um, so, no, what that? Like, like 10 months before, from the June to the... Oh, a year before. Yeah, a year before. 10 months before. Uh, I, fought, I fought him, and I just... I boxed terribly against him. I saw red. Like, I'd... Um, I was so up, so angered by him making me go through this whole six-month, four-month recovery process. And I blamed it on him and not qualifying when the other guys did qualify. I didn't qualify because this prick broke my shoulder. So rather than boxing, I just lost my head. 
and I would drag them on a little bit so I'll kind of reduce this. But I was six points down going into the last round. And some context for you. In the previous four-year Olympic cycle at international boxing, not one person across the world had ever overturned a three-point deficit going into the last round. Four points is unimaginable. Five points is impossible. I was six points down. Never been done before. In the last round, I punched him. Last round, I worked so hard that I gave myself exercise-induced asthma. Like now, to a point now, when I go and do a cardio, I've got to take a woman a puff for it because my lungs, I worked that hard. I gave myself asthma. Overturned the six-point deficit. I beat him, and I qualified. So after the, the rigmarole of missing 2008 and getting kicked off the squad and then... Um, Injuring my shoulder in 2008, shoulder in 2011, the surgeries, this to that. I was finally at the Olympic Games. I could finally say I was going to become Olympian. And, and my dreams, although I had them in the way it was meant to be, it was now could happen. How did that feel knowing that you were going to be an Olympian at a home games as well? Really, that, that was really weird, mate. That was really weird because when I qualified, I had these visions I visualized. I think oh, when I qualify, and I'm in a place as in as in Turkey, a place called Trabzon, which is a shithole. And my, my girlfriend came, and my wife and my friends came, and my, my team came. And I just when I qualified, it was it was amazing. Like in my in my head, right? This is how like resolute and determined I was. In my head, I couldn't foresee the Olympics happening without me there. Like in every time I'd ever pictured it. I was always there, front and center. It was really weird. I couldn't. I thought they're not going to happen without me. They've got, even though my arm is like honestly, when I say I turned a ten-month rehab into four, four months, that's what I did. Like, and my form was so good before that the coach said to me, "Rob, send me with one arm, then the other middleweight with two arms." You know, and then I had to go there and still beat some of the best boxers in the world to qualify. The Russian that I beat, who was European champion in the world, he was there. He didn't qualify. He could beat by somebody else. They could beat by the Georgian, and I beat him. So some amazing boxers didn't qualify for the Olympic Games that year. Unbelievable boxers. That two years before, you'd have said, he's a shooting for the gold medal. Um, but as weird, I sat in my bed that night when I, at the hotel uh, after qualifying. And as a weird, I thought I was really happy. And I was happy, but I was like, okay, cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm where I should have been anyway. So it wasn't that big of a deal, although it was. It was really weird. Like I just, I should have, I should have been there eight months ago. Or was it more relief? Not relief. I wasn't relieved because relief means that you weren't sure if you're going to do it or not. As I said a minute ago, I was so sure I was going to do it, even though it seemed like I wouldn't. I just, in my head, that's that's the way it was going to be. It wasn't relief. It was just, it was just what it should have been. You know. Um, anyway. So the Olympic Games now are in seven and a half weeks from that night in the hotel in Trabzon. I came home. I had a week off with my family. I went to Sheffield. We trained in Sheffield. Uh, so the GB squad, we trained up in Sheffield, um, at the EIS. So get done on Monday, Monday to Friday, back for a weekend. On a Tuesday morning, I had a phone call from my sister. I don't think you know this, uh, Mo. So on Tuesday morning, I had a phone call from my sister. 20 past eight, I answered the phone, a weird time to get a call from my sister. I answered the phone, she was crying her eyes out, hyperventilating, she went, Andy, you gotta get home, like get home right now. Mom, she's about to die. I went, fuck. 
And so we're talking what now? Five weeks before the games? Five and a half weeks before my first fight. Five and a half weeks before my first fight. I went, oh, jumped in the car, flew on. Um, she'd had a, a brain aneurysm, really bad. And I walked into hospital and she was uh, hung up to the machine, which was keeping her alive. My sisters flung their arms over me as I walked in the door. My nan was there, everyone was crying. I felt like they just grabbed hold of me when I walked in. And I was like, like I was going to do something. You know? And as I mentioned earlier, my mum was our hero, all of us. So I, um, the doctor asked to speak to me in his little office. He was a junior doctor. And he said to me, your mom, she suffered a subarachnoid bleed in the back of her brain, left side, it's really, really bad. He said to me, um, there's nothing more we can do. He said the only, and this was a throwaway comment, he said, the only place they could do something is Adam Brooks, which is in Cambridge, which is a specialist head unit. He said, but we spoke to them, there's no beds available. But anyway, we've sent the scans to him, looked at them, and they've said, look, we, we can't do anything. Oh, it's, it's too bad of a bleed. She's got to turn off the love support machine. And I went, and I, I sat for a second, I thought, hung on to a little bit of hope. He said, the only place they could do anything was, was Adam Brooks. I said, okay, I went, can you please send it to Adam Brooks then, just so they can like double check? He went, no, we can't because there's no beds available, as I've said. And anyway, they've got the scans and they won't do anything anyway because it's too bad. But she's my mum, and I want a second opinion. Can you please send it to Adam Brooks? It's like a two-hour like ambulance ride away. He said no. I asked him three times very politely. The fourth time, I lost my shit. I went berserk, berserk at him, berserk, because I asked three times politely. I don't know what I said. I don't know what I did. But I remember losing my, losing my temper, and he's left. It could have been for a minute. Could have been for 20, I don't know. He's come back in and he said, he's been on the phone to Adam Brooks. A bed has just opened up. I said, all right, okay. He said, we're going to send her, but I'm trying to be aware that it's not looking good and they, they won't do anything. I said, oh, thank you and left it. So the blue litter to the um, Adam Brooks, jumped in my car, followed behind. And that's where I stayed for a month. I got a little B&B. Before Airbnbs were a thing, I got a B&B. Um, in Cambridge, I was in hospital uh, every day, holding her hand, stroking her hair. Uh, didn't do a thing for a month. She had operations on her, in the coma. She had operations on her brain, seemingly every couple of days to save her life. And to, you know, so I didn't do a thing. Didn't do a press up, didn't do a punch, didn't do a set up for a month. And the month's gone by. My, my first, and I'd pulled out of the Olympics because how can I go to the Olympic Games? My mum, my hero, is probably never going to see her again. So I, uh, I felt guilty going to the vending machine and not being there for half an hour. You know, I couldn't go away and, and train and focus on boxing when, um, when she was like in that position, position and could have died. What was, what was the GB squad like? When what was what was that? Were they supportive uh, I, or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to a degree, I said, to, I said. So I spoke to my my girlfriend. Spoke to the coach, um, Rob McCracky. I said, look, I said, to tell them I'm not come back, and they wanted me to fight, obviously, because for me and for them. Um, and then, and then my, my girlfriend, my sisters, they said to me after mum, they said to me, your mum's going to get better. Now at this point, none, none of us thought she would. So mum's going to get better. And then when she does, she's going to feel awful knowing that you didn't do the games because of her and play the biggest guilt card <laughs> known to man. 
And I They're was crafty like, like that, women, aren't they? Yeah, I might say that. <laughs> and I went, um, but they were sure dead right because up at that point, I lived at home still. Like, I was there for a weekend and back to Sheffield on the Monday. Monday morning, I'd come down, have like a little sandwiches made, my little tin foil, my little drink. I'd come back on a Friday, give them my dirty clothes. By Monday morning, they're hung up, ready to go in my suitcase, like you know, everything, and everything in between. Um, and then I thought, she's right. Like, if the small chance she survives, they will kill her, knowing that I pulled out because of her, because she knew what it meant to me, and she knew what I'd been through. She'd been there when I, I, I'd, I'd been, mom, mom, get the power seat on my shoulders, sore. you know, she'd been there, you know, she'd seen me do it. So over the training, we had one week of training left in Sheffield, one week, um, and I. And we had a family and friends day. So all the Olympians, had a, we had a family and friends day where all the guys boxing in London could invite their family and friends to watch us train for one last day. And I had no family there because they were obviously all my mum and yours. And there's a sparring session, I sparred Fred Evans. And Fred was really good, Southpaw, really good lad. And I told all the, I told the coaches, don't tell the lads what's going on with me because I didn't want people, I didn't want any, I just wanted to go there, turn up, fight, come home. So I'm sparring with Fred Evans. All his brothers and his dad is around the wing, like as a real fight, like patting there, patting there, the canvas. My phone was in my pocket because I am a mum's next of kin. So if anything happened, they called me. Any emergency sur- surgeries I had to do, they called me. And they did. They rang me up at like two in the morning, three in the morning. So my phone was in my pocket, right? On training, I haven't thrown a punch in a month. I th- the first punch I throw, a sloppy jab. Fred Evans, trying to impress his, his dad and his family, slips out. Boom, body shot, and he breaks my rib. Rib was broken. And I got through the I got through the spa somehow, don't know how. I sat on the ring apron, cried my eyes out, and the sweat was masquerading my tears and the Vaseline on my face. I shoulder didn't shoulder thing, cried my eyes out, thinking, fuck, when my shoulder was still smashed. I couldn't do I couldn't do uppercuts or hooks, only throw straight shots. They had much power in there. Still every time I threw a punch, it was sore. My Achilles, I'd like to have four surgeries on my Achilles out of boxing for two years later on because um, they were so bad. And a broken rib. And I thought my mum was going to die. And I thought that was my build up to the Olympic Games. That was my build up. Like I was fighting in 10 days. It's not meant to be like this. It should not be like this. All the times I've visualized it in my head, it was not like this. But that was my Olympic. My limit build up, you know, and I didn't train the rest of the week because my rib was so sore. Uh, having injections in it to numb the pain um, in a really bad way. I'd lost weight because I mentioned earlier about losing weight. I was a middleweight, so 75 kilos in the Olympics. And I used to walk around about 78, 79 back then. I was 72, 73 kilos because I wasn't eating. I was ill. I was sick. I looked ill. Like when you lose weight as a fighter, you look ripped and thin. I was gone. I didn't have good ab, ab definite definition because I was I was skinny rather than lean, you know. Um yeah just shit. The shit. Then I went into Olympics and then what happened with your sorry, what happened with your mum? Uh she survived the brain aneurysm, which was great and she's still alive with us today, fingers crossed which is amazing. She's the toughest woman I know. Um oh that's great news. Yeah yeah all because I had a go at a doctor and made it, made him send her to Edinburgh. So, you know, she, at the time with the brain aneurysm, she had three grandchildren. She's now got nine. 
Um, she's obviously when you have a, a, a brain aneurysm, particularly one she has. Uh, well, this, this is my mom, right? This is my mom. So jumping forwards, but like at the Olympics, I had no clue she was going to live. I had to leave thinking I was never going to see her again. So during the Olympics, I would creep out the Olympic Village, jump in my car, park at Wanstead Station, East London, drive up to Cambridge early hours of the morning, creep into the hospital, beg the nurse to let me in, hold my mum's hand for 20 minutes, give her a kiss in the head, get back in my car, drive back down to London, sneak back in the Olympic Village before the coaches woke up. I'd get to London, half past four in the morning, wait till 5am for the tube to start running again, jump on the central line, back into Stratford, creep back into the village, back into my little room before the coach woke up. I wouldn't sleep all day, then all night, then I'd crack on with the day. Did that twice. Did that three times in the Olympics, twice was I was boxing, and the third time was after I'd, I'd got beat. And that was not how it should have been. All the other athletes were out having a great time partying and, or, or training, and I was doing that. It was, it was just real shit. Um, but going back to my mum, what kind of person my mum is, so I was there, it's like, it would have been uh, October, she was in hospital, so maybe like late September, she was out from a coma and she was, um, and I was, in, I was in the hospital with her and the occupational therapist came around and she gave me a pen and she had to start like writing again, right? Learn to write, learn to do everything again, write, make a cup of tea, learn to walk again, everything. So she gave her a pen, right? And she, um, she had to write her name out and, and it wasn't her name, but I was so proud of her, the fact that she was just there, like writing her name. She held it like a knife, <laughs> she's gonna stab somebody. Anyway, she had to learn to walk again. So one year later, almost one year later, um, she climbed Ben Nevis, which is obviously the biggest mountain in, in the UK. So the kind of person she is, goes and learn to walk again to climb in you know, the biggest mountain in the UK. So yeah, definitely my um, my inspiration in, in that one. So uh, yeah. It's amazing, mate. So the Olympic Games, if you, were you happy with the result? No. I wanted to go medal. But even even considering the adversity that you had before, like, do you reflect on it now? Like, and it's look back and... Eight, yeah, it's taken me eight years. It's taken me eight years to be here and to be able to sit and go, yeah, what I did was 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 an incredible achievement. Going through what I went through, um, the draw that I got at the Olympics, uh, the hardship I faced, the build-up to. But, you know, I was, I was, I was devastated. And then we talk about the mental health thing. Like, for a long time, I was really pissed off and bitter and jealous of people that achieve a gold medal when I deserved a gold medal more than anybody, like more than anybody. Like, got to a point where I was, I'd even compare myself to other sports and go, how come she's got, or I'm not going to say the name, but I watched something a couple of years ago. This is in a, in, when I was, uh, when I was really in a bad with my eye and had to retire and watch this lady win the, win the world championships in different sports to my sport. And me and her did a thing together a couple of years ago, a couple of years before that. She'd like, came like 14th in the world. I was really happy with that back then. And I was like, I remember thinking to her at the time, thinking, how can you have to 14th in the world? That's rubbish. But, you know, and she's gone on to win a Commonwealth champion. And I was really bitter and jealous. Like, rather than being happy for her, and I'm honest, I'm, I'm big enough and I'm over, I'm, over, I'm, out, I'm out of the, the depth enough to say, to be able to say that I'm not this person now. But I was jealous of her being successful because I was better athlete than her. I wanted more than her. I trained more than her. I had more of a winning mentality than her. Um, but ultimately, I learned after a long time of, of being bitter and jealous that being bitter and jealous that other people did, I didn't do, even though I had a really shit like hand of 
cards dealt to me, it's not good for me. You know, it's not good for you. It just makes you so upset and unhappy, you know, and everyone's walked their own journeys in life and sometimes things happen and sometimes they don't. And it's, and it's unfair sometimes, but that's life. Well, if it's any consolation, mate, I know that the, the nation were proud of you. Um, they were proud of everyone on that on that squad and on the t on Team GB full stop. And now understanding your journey to that Olympic Games, I think when the dust settles and and as you get a little bit older as well, you'll be even happier with how you managed to be so successful given the the situation and circumstance around that preparation, which is about as worst preparation as you can possibly get. For an elite competition and so you know when when that when you won that medal make no mistake i remember watching it and make no mistake people were were proud as anything to to watch you uh, have your hand raised you know Cheers, man. i appreciate it thank you thank you so how long after the olympic games did you then sign for golden boy was that always a always a, an aspiration to go pro no nah, not at all actually quite the opposite i was never on the one box that you'll ever talk to that wasn't fussed about turning pro. Didn't even really want to turn pro. Like, like my whole thing since I started boxing was become Olympic champion. That's what I heard so much. I didn't because. Did you want to then go to Rio? Then is that what the afterwards? The reason why I didn't is because. So, so my whole thing is winning the Olympic gold medal. Like, and I was so upset that Anthony Joshua did and Luke Campbell, did, Nicola Adams did, and I didn't. When I deserved it, in my opinion more than them and I went through more and, and they wouldn't have went through that I went through and achieved what they, what I did in my opinion um it sounds really arrogant I know but that is you know I remember being on the GB squad and Joshua hurt his thumb hurt his thumb in the spine session and he's having a meltdown and Ian Gat and I'm sitting there my arm is skinny as anything I'm 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 I'm, I'm struggling to curl a one one kilo dumbbell at the very beginning of my rehab to get back for the second qualifier Oh, sorry, I thought you meant anyway, curling a one the kilo dumbbell. Oh, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that was so good. On. And then um, and Ian Gat grabbed Joshua, brought him over to me. He said, look at him. He said, look at him. Don't you dare complain about a, a sprained thumb when that geezer. Look how far, look at me, look how determined he is, you know. And, get, you know, small little thing just to prove that I did things people didn't. I had a horrendous injury. I didn't lose my head. I was focused on what I had to do. I was very driven. I was very determined. Some people aren't cuffing us on the kind of cloth, you know. And it's a shame for me. I'm jumping ahead again but now, but I was never able to, to display that, though the though the the stuff that went inside me, the determination, all that stuff, wasn't able to display that in the ring. So people love boxes that get knocked down ten times. They get up. They the rocky stuff. Put themselves up from the on the ropes. They bleed in there. They're sore. And they come back and they win. Like I had all that in me, yet in my career was so unfortunate. I never got to display that, you know. Um, so I jumped ahead. So the Olympic Games, I didn't, I didn't want to turn pro. I, if I'd have won the gold medal in London, I probably would have retired from boxing. I probably would have just retired. And because how are you gonna? In my head, I don't come for money. I don't. I never had anything. But all I ever wanted to do is become, you know, Olympic champion. Do that in London in front of my friends and family, my girlfriend, my wife, my my my, my mom, my sisters, my mom's hospital, my sisters. Like, you ain't gonna get any, watching the Union Jack go up. I get singles, like think about it now. And when I tell that story, I always say, 
stand there with my gold medal. In my head, that gold medal, which is around some Japanese guy's neck, is still mine. It's actually mine. <laughs> um, and then it's never going to get any better than that. So I probably just retired and, and, and done something else in my life. Been 23, young, Olympic champion. Doing something you, could have, you could have tried Juve, you know? You could have gone back to that. The could have, I could have rang up Marcelo Lippi and said, listen, mate, do you need a box-to-box midfielder? <laughs> um, yeah, I've tried something else. And I don't think I'm going to turn pro. I generally don't think I'm going to turn like, It's easy to say this and had Don King, Eddie Hearn, Golden Boy said, here's five million pounds to turn pro. Maybe my head's going to be turned a little bit. But I've never, I'm sure as Olympic champion, I could have walked into something like earning good money, doing something else. I, I don't think I would have done it. I don't think I would have. So, so why, didn't why, you go, why didn't you go to Rio? Why, why wasn't the Rio trajectory yeah, at this point in august like my mom is still really really unwell still thinks she's gonna still think she's gonna die still think i'm never gonna see her again and what i'd done i'd wrapped up my mom's illness and the olympics for me had become one so i look back on the olympics and, and for many people it's the best time of their life the, the worst time of my life the worst time of my life like it was horrible horrible i feel like i've got this even now talking about it, i've got this horrible pain in my stomach just talking about it on one hand, it was amazing. Some it was some really, really mad, like mad, cool thing. But I'll talk to some people who was at the Olympic Games with, and they'll go to me, "Oh, do you remember when? Do you remember when?" And I'm like, "I don't remember actually, because I've there's a massive chunk of my life I've just blocked out because it, it was so sad for me. You know, my mom was so ill, and I just a huge chunk of my life just blocked, blocked out. So I don't remember certain bits. Um, so what well, I'd wrapped them up together. Mum's illness, Olympics, and I couldn't, I just couldn't go through all again and get to the qualifiers and go um, and have it all back then. And, and Olympics had and have art, and that is now that's somewhat ruined for me because <laughs> I just don't, maybe it'll change in, in time, but you know, still eight years on, I'm still upset and, and gutted I didn't get what I wanted to get. And you know, and so, so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to change, I'm going to repackage my dreams. and the world title, becoming, not just the world title, becoming Britain's best ever middleweight boxer was my goal. And up to that point, I've done the research. Uh, I've done the research in the past. Up until that point, when I turned pro, we'd had, I think, five British world middleweight champions. And combined, it had eight world title defences. All five boxers, won a title, defended at once, lost it. Once I lost it, so all five boxes had eight successful combined titles. You're saying oh, that was that was at middleweight. That's middleweight. Yeah, not so. And obviously, for people listening to this, there's a difference clearly between super middleweight and middleweight. For those that might jump in the, some of the other names that might spring to mind. Yeah, middleweight, 160 pounds middleweight, um, and obviously, yeah. So super middleweight is 168, so 12 stone. Middleweight is 160. So the five world champions. Um, and yeah, I wanted to be the kind of the best. I wanted to personally, my goal changed from Olympics to becoming my record. I wanted to win the world title, have 10 defenses, then retire. So, me, I'm better than all the five champions put together, kind of thing, you know, in terms of in the defenses. Um, and that was goal. And, and Golden Boy was going to be the best vehicle for, for that. So, I turned pro. Uh, so did they reach out to you then? How did that work? Like, what was the, you know, because it's, it's very sort of like the boxing, professional boxing uh, fraternity is very sort of clandestine to the public. We just see the ring walk and the fireworks and the, 
and the and the the fight in the middle. But the backstage is very different to what the the actual reality will be. Yeah, massively. So basically, he uh, Richard Chafer, who was the chief executive at Golden Boy, he was at in London for the Olympic Games. He loved me. He saw the reaction I got. He watched all my interviews. Loved my story. So thought I was marketable. Thought I was a great boxer. Lots of talent, and he wanted to sign me. And he saw me as the British Oscar De La Hoya to go on and do all this stuff. He, he heard, you know, and so I, and basically Golden Boy is really, really, my whole career is so unfortunate. Like Golden Boy, it could have been so good. So Richard Schaefer, Golden Boy was the biggest promotional company in the world. Biggest by far in, 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 the, in the US. He wanted to create Golden Boy UK, Richard Schaefer, and be on BT Sport. So BT Sport wasn't even a thing back then. We went on our second meeting, he brought all this paperwork, showed me all the emails. He was talking to different people to create BT Sport. They were going to, as they have done now, so everything he, he, he was going to do is, is now in fruition. So the boxing fans out there now listen to this, they'll know there's Matchroom and there's Matchroom USA. So basically, Golden Os- uh, Richard wanted to do that, but in reverse, like six years before Eddie Hearn did it with Matchroom. And I was going to be the face of the Golden Boy UK thing. And I was going to be on BT Sport and we're going to create the whole thing around me. And it was, it was going to be great. And then I signed with Richard, signed with Golden Boy. And within six months of me signing for Golden Boy, Richard and Oscar De La Hoya, who's the, who is Golden Boy, he's the Golden Boy, he's uh, the president of, of, of Golden Boy. They had a big fallout and, and Oscar sacked him. And I was like, where did that leave me? And we had a meeting with Oscar and Oscar was like, I don't want to do the UK thing. I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, if you want to move to the US, then we can promote you here, but you know, we're not going to the UK. And I was like, I don't want to come to the US because my fan base is in the UK and I want to build and become a big star here. And I saw how big boxing was becoming in the UK and I wanted to be a part of that. And, and he's well, you know, kind of stuck ahead. It's kind of like being and Oscar, they were great. I'm mean, like, Oscar was great. You know, he, he was really good. And ultimately, I was injured and injuries kind of, like cut short my career. So you doesn't matter how good a promoter you've got, you can't fight, then you can't fight. But um yeah, Oscar was great, mate. He um Richard was brilliant. He just didn't want to do what Richard wanted to do. So I found myself essentially going back to the football analogy, being signed by a manager, manager gets sacked, new manager comes in, and the new manager doesn't really want to play that formation to play him. And it's like, oh well, you're kind of stuck. So I stuck on Golden Boy and and then um yeah, injuries. So the right shoulder, which I spoke about earlier, I rehabbed that in four months rather than the full 10. So that came out again in another fight because it just didn't heal properly because obviously it couldn't. So that came out again. I fought the whole way, one arm, won the fight. Out for, I was out for a year, my Achilles. I was out for certain, three months and six months of Achilles, trying different like injections and stuff. In the end, had to get a big operation on them, on them both sides. Had operation, didn't work. There's an infection put in the Achilles. Had to redo the surgery. After a whole year, my first fight back, I popped my shoulder. Win the fight, out for another 10 months. Had the worst career in the world. Then I came back, had three fights, knocked them all out. Um, and then I got the WBC international fight, which gave me a top 10 ranking with WBC, which meant that I choose I could fight the, the world champion in my next fight. So we're talking Golden Boy. It's all planned for me to fight the WBC champion at the time. All I do is win this international belt. 
Um, so fighting for the October, I was going to fight the world champion either the following May or the following September in Vegas. The minimum purse of $5 million. Um, I was become middleweight champion and that are number one of my 10 world title defences. Uh, number one. Earn all the money in the world and become this, you know, the boxer and the star that I, was, I thought I was born to be. In that fight, in the international belt, crashed my eye socket, uh, damaged my eye irreparably. And then, you know, to cut a long story short, ended up having nine surgeries on my eye over the next three years. Um, spent a hundred grand on my own money, sold my car, remortgaged my house to pay for surgeries that in the end didn't work. And um, yeah, forced to retire just as I was about to hit my peak. Forced to retire and forced to watch boxes that could not lace my gloves. Boxes that were number two, number three, number four to me go on and become world champion and earn millions of pounds and live my life and live out my dreams, you know? And that was very difficult to take. Um, and then I had to retire, yeah. I had to retire with, with no money. I had to retire with a dodgy eye. Doesn't work anymore. Uh, no, all my money, all my savings in the bank gone. Spent on surgery that didn't work. And the career where I thought I was gonna spend my entire life ended. And not just ended, I've got complete this, I've got, I had complete disdain to boxing because it took everything away from me, you know? Uh, so, yeah, very, very, very difficult uh, situation to kind of be through. How important were your family when you were going through that period? Yeah, man, massively important. You know, I've got an amazing family. My mum, my sisters, my wife has been a superstar to me. Um, and I was a prick as well. I was horrible. Right? I was... I was horrible for a while, mate. Like, I was, I was it was, like, I, I, I glossed over it, but for three years, nine surgeries, every surgery I had, I'm very, I'm a very positive person. Every surgery I had, I generally thought, this is the one. This is the one that's going to get me back. This is the one. And never was. And that does a lot to you, you know, nine times, nine times in the spin over three years. Like, so much more. Like, like you know, I'm, I was very, I'm quite intelligent. So I've, I've always saved my money for a rainy day. I had a whole rainy buddy three years and all my money I saved when and like you'd be pissed off if you spend 100 quid on something and don't get what you want that pissed you off spend 100 grand on nine things it doesn't work it just breaks your heart um, but you know yeah my wife has been amazing uh, family been great uh, friends are good uh, yeah it's really important to kind of be around people that that can help you that can, um, can bring you out of it you know so how so your career's been brought to a premature end? You know, there's you know, that's a, a pretty incredible story. Um, with the amount of adversity that you faced. You know, I don't I don't know many other people that would be able to face that much and still be sat here. Like one thing when I first met you, the one thing that I noticed was how annoyingly happy and outgoing you were. Like you are like such an outgoing bloke. It's like, and I say annoyingly, jovially, but it like you're you are you are certainly outward facing a, a guy that is half full you know like right what can we do and you can you can tell that your 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 curiosity and your thirst for something is always there you know when we when we met and we went you know down to the camp you're like inquisitive genuinely inquisitive about stuff you learn and you want to you want to know there's always a quest for more and the the period of time, you know, to maybe place that in context, the period of time where your, your career is 
brought to the end must have been excruciating for, for you, especially someone that has always been capable and always been a person that has succeeded no matter the odds. And it and and to have that taken away from you and it like maybe I don't know, three years of it slipping through your fingers and you can't grip it. Yeah. Mate, it would have been it would have been easier for me. I had like a box at night and my eyeball just fell out. I genuinely would have rather that. Like is no eyeball, eyeball implode. I can never fight again. The decision's been made there and then. Now I'm 27. I've got to figure something else out the rest of my life. But the fact it was so brutal over three years and it's so slow and just the anguish of a long period of time was horrible. And they were not quite good, but they're there. Like, that's the worst bit. I was just being fucked. You're fucked. You can't box ever again. All right, now I've got no choice but to move on. But it was just so dragged over a long period of time. And like, go back to my dedication. So you mentioned earlier about dedication. This is why, this is one snippet of something I've always done and I've always displayed this kind of dedication. But those three years, two and a half years before I retired, I had seven surgeries when I retired officially. I had two more surgeries in private without the, the weight of the world on my shoulders. Are you going to box again? Before I really call it a day. It was nine surgeries in in three years. When I retired in March 2019, it was uh, it was it was it was seven. I said I had two more. Um, <clears throat> when I, I was going to story, just thought I was going to say. Um, oh yeah, so those whole two and a half years, I live in Essex. My no our no our, our mutual friend uh, Barry O'Connell, who's unbelievable, unbelievable man, unbelievable man. I cannot. Big him up enough. He still tucks his tracksuit bottoms into his socks, by the way. I saw him a few weeks back and he's still <laughs> doing that. And, and he'll never change. And I love that about him. I love him. <laughs> he's such a boxer. <laughs> he's um, like, I, I wish I'd have met him earlier in my boxing career. I wouldn't have, and the saddest thing for me, I mentioned a minute ago, is that I never got to display my true qualities in the ring. All my uh, feats of, of strength, mental, physical, have been outside the ring, on operating tables, blah, blah, blah. Never been done in the ring. And I finally got the team I wanted, like the amazing boxing trainer. Like my last boxing coach was really, really good, but I was never a priority of his, and it just wasn't the way I should have been. I had amazing strength and conditioning coaches. My setup was perfect. The last two weeks, so I trained for two and a half years before retiring. And the point I'm making is, I drove from Essex to Hampstead, West London, an hour and a half there every day, over two hours back because of traffic. I spent three and a half hours in the car every single day, be at the gym for three hours, train my ass off. So about half six and a half hours in the day and train in the morning before I went. So I'd wake up at 6 a.m., wouldn't get back till 8 p.m. every single day for two and a half years because I generally thought I was going to get back in the ring and I was going to fight. And I thought, well, my eye does get right. There's not going to be no six fight warm ups. Fight the guy I fought when my eye went, then back into the world title picture. Um, and it happened. And that's the dedication you've got to have. And that's why I get upset when I say people have got my gold medal or this person's won the world title or he's a millionaire or he's been Olympic champion. They wouldn't have done what I did. And I didn't. And that's the, that, 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 that's the thing that gets me sad still. Do you ever think that? So, so how old are you now? 32. So do you ever, like, which is still young. Yeah, it's not like it's not like your twenties, clearly, but you're still young. 
Do you ever reflect and think that you're destined for something greater than that? There's a reason why that's happened to you because you needed to go through that for something else. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's easy. I mean, that's a nice way to look at things. You know, it's a nice way to look at things. And I always think, and I, I get wound up when I talk about it because it's still very raw to me. I only retired 18 months ago. And it's still very raw. And, and those people I talk about are still doing it now. They're still winning, you know, and it does it is, does upset me. And to shoot proves how much it meant to me and it mean, meant to me. Um, I do think that. I also think that, like, you never know what you're being saved from. Like, I had lots of injuries, and each time they were getting worse and worse and worse. So, then, like, the shoulder, the shoulder, the rib, the face, this, that. And then the eye, you know, they were getting worse, right? So, let's say, uh, this is how I think of it sometimes. You, you hear those stories where, like, you know, a bloke had never, never, the bloke who worked in the World Trade Center for 15 years had never been late a day in his life, not a day. Then one particular day, September 11th, 2001, his missus rings him up. Oh, you've got to, got to get the kids from school because she's not very well. Go and get her. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. He gets her. He's late for work. The, the building goes down. Had he had there been any day in the 15 years, he'd have been in it. He'd have died. So that saved him from what happened. And that's obviously, that's a big thing which obviously happened. You can see what you were saved from. Like, you never know what I was saved from. Maybe something really bad was going to happen to me in my next fight or the next fight after that. Maybe I was going to get brain damage or die, in a, which happens in the ring. Though All the time people get brain damage all the time, but it can happen. People can lose their lives in the ring. So maybe that was going to happen to me. Maybe I'm being saved from that. And because I can't see that, I'm just thinking about what I didn't get rather than a whole new, a whole new lease of life what I did get, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, and, I, and I'm, I'm a... I personally, I'm a huge believer in in everything happens for a reason. And you are an individual that has cultivated a vision, a direction and a sheer bloody mindedness to get something. And your dedication is is unrivaled. You know, if everybody could have a, a little bit of how dedicated you are, well, the world would be a better place. But you imagine what that's what that in 32 years, imagine what you'd be in six, at 64 and what your next 32 years is going to bring and the experience you're an expert through experience you're you're capable and you're able what the next 32 years knowing what you've been through and knowing how capable you are and and the ability that you have that's that's a potent combination whereas you wouldn't have realized that at 22 because you although you'd been through adversity you hadn't been through the what you'd been through now so looking back to use that to move forward and it have a you'll have a greater roadmap. Yeah, it's not going to be an Olympic gold medal. Of course it's not going to be. And that I don't say that lightly, and I can't even begin to imagine what that what that experience would would have been like for for better or worse. But to have what you've got to be able to plan your next moves and move forward is is something that you can't recreate. And that creates something special. Yeah, thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I could sit and complain about what I haven't got, but I've got an awful lot of stuff, like loads of experiences, um, loads of success. You know, I've, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. I've lived, I, 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 I've, if I was to die today, 32 years old, one, I'd be annoyed because <laughs> a lot of things get still what I want to do. If I were to die, genuinely, 
Like, I'd be like, oh, cool. I mean, I've had a fucking cracking life already. 32 years old. I've lived three lives in one already. I've done so much cool stuff. And it's not so much about, you know, I'm good. I want to make it to 100. Of course I do. But I'm just saying, I've done an awful lot. You know, I genuinely, you know, would be like, oh, that's a shame. Well, at least I had a great time. But, mate, I think it's fair to say that your boxing career has been a damn sight better than your Strictly career. You strictly come dancing, no, mate, honestly. Like, you joke, you joke, right? You joke. I'm not even gonna. You think I'm bitter talking about not winning the gold medal games? Then give, don't give me start on that one. I have, I'll take over a beer one day. And it's mate. not, and it's not like you didn't have like the most amazing partner either. Don't, mate, don't, don't, <laughs> put that, don't put that to it. I'm telling you, mate. Not, um, <laughs> just, 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 um, just to finish off, like. Explain what you're doing right now and where you are and what, what the what the next phase of uh, Mr. Agogo's life is. Yeah, so I had to retire last March um, and I did an interview with BBC Sport on my, on my retirement day. And they said, what's next? I went, I don't know. I don't know because my entire life I wanted to be a boxer. And I said, those, those three years, I'd give my all to get back in the ring. And, and someone said to me, like, you last thought two and a half years ago, you must have thought about what was next. Like, nah, like in my head, I've been retired for 27 minutes. Because the first interview I did. And I thought, and that was on the that was on the Monday, and my last spa was on the Wednesday. I mean, I went again that Wednesday, so I knew that Wednesday I was gonna retire. We had five days to plan it, and then that was the day. So I said, nah, I haven't thought about it. I said, I don't know, I've always liked wrestling, I might become a wrestler. And I've generally always liked wrestling. I've loved always loved wrestling. And then I was on a Wednesday. I had the two biggest wrestling companies in the world uh, reach out to me. And well, so after that interview, yeah, both they'd obviously they'd seen it. So BBC Sport goes all, all around, around the world, and they both flew me out for meetings. And they're like, "Oh, you've been because if you're going to do this, it's going to be a lot of work." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm not shy. It's hard work. Fuck, it's proper hard work as well. Goodness me, it's hard work." And then I go AEW all elite wrestling that is like before they ever had a show they were the second biggest company in the world uh, behind WWE who also offered me a contract just AEW because of the vision and what we're doing here in the company is, is we're changing wrestling and um, face wrestling and yeah so I'm now a professional wrestler so very it's uh, it's it's it's, it's going to be an amazing it's, it's an amazing journey I'm in the very beginning of it but it's going to be an amazing journey and I'm really enjoying it. And it's, it's not boxing. I was boxing for 18 years. I dreamt of being a boxer from being a kid. It ain't boxing. And I don't want to say negatively that it's the next best thing because it's an amazing thing in its own right. But for me, wrestling is the only thing else, only things, because in my head, what I wanted to do as a boxer, I wanted to retire at 37 with these world title fights and then I wanted to enjoy myself for three years because I've been so dedicated for so long. Have three years and just enjoy myself. Go on holiday and do this, that and the other. And at 40, get a real job. 40, start a whole new career. Do something totally different. Because 40, you're still a young man. you still got a little penny in the tank if you want to have a penny in the tank. And I'm going to start again at 40. So, and I don't know what that next career would have been. Maybe TV, maybe some acting, maybe politics. I don't know. Um, and what the retirement thing, being a positive person I am, and it hasn't sounded like that on this, on this podcast, but I am a very positive person. I thought, oh, what's it give me? I've now retired at 30, opposed to 37. 
I've got, before I do something at 40, I've got a 10 year window to have some fun. I've got a fit body, the boxing gives me this fit, healthy body. I can, I, when I'm 40, I want to be doing a new physical career. So I'm young enough now to do something totally different. I've always liked wrestling. Why not give it a go? It takes the boxes that wrestling ticked, being in a ring, the competitive drive, the showmanship. It takes more boxes wrestling than never ticked for me. Weekly, being on TV weekly, like being in the ring more, being a bit more glitz and glamour. Why not? And I, thought, I thought I gave it a go. Yeah, I'm now a professional wrestler. I'm really enjoying it. I'm loving it. Um, it's very hard, very demanding, physically very demanding. Um, but yeah, hopefully I can, hopefully this 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 itch that I couldn't scratch from boxing because of injuries, hopefully that I can I, I can scratch it doing this. And then when I'm 40, still a relatively young man, I can go out and, and try to conquer something else. So I've gone from wanting to become Britain's met best ever middleweight boxer. I'll be like Forrest Gump. I just want to like, just do this and then kill it. Then do this, then kill it, then do that. Then do that, just do different stuff. And, and as I said, when I, if I were to die now, I think I've lived three lifetimes over. When I die a hundred years old, I want to have lived 50 different lives, you know, and, and cram as much life into this one life that we do get. I have a final question for you. Will Anthony Agogo ever slow down? Um, that's a funny one. That's perception, isn't it? Because I think I live a really chilled life. Like today was my day off, to be fair. But I woke up at 10.30 a.m. No, I woke up about nine. I got out of bed at 10. I train late. We train late here. So I didn't get him in America. So I don't get to bed till two, three in the morning most nights. So when I say wake up at 9 a.m., that's not me being lazy. That's me getting my six hours in. Um, but I don't, today was a really chill that day. Like, I don't like people's perception, isn't it? I do mad, like, I do loads of cool different stuff. But I get enough chill time. I slow down. Like, I, I, pick and, I pick and choose my rests, you know. I just, when I do something, I do it impactfully. So it has impact and it's, and it's big. And, um, you know. but I, like, no, and when I physically, I will slow down. When I get to 40, yes, I'll train, I'll keep myself healthy because, as we both know, that's. That's great for you physically, but also mentally, it's great for you. But um, yeah, I wanna, I wanna. There's things I wanna conquer, and if I wanna become a TV presenter, then I wanna be the next Gary Lineker. If I wanna become an actor, I wanna be better than Vinnie Jones, you know. So, um, if I wanna be a politician, then I wanna do some good in the world. So yeah, there's a few things there I wanna do. So short answer, no, I don't think I will start now. Mate, I love that. I love that mindset that you have. And I think that it is infectious in a positive way. Look, we've, we've been talking for a, a good hour and a half. And the what I'd like to finish off with um, as my sort of fin passing comment is that I've listened to hugely successful individual that has faced significant adversity. But the one thing that stands out for me is that you are incredibly rich in family. And it resonates the way that you speak about your sisters. And I'm sure that it was an interesting childhood being the only lads in a house full of girls, you know, um, I feel your pain. And the way that you speak about your mum, it's really powerful. And I think when all's said and done, you know, if we're talking about wealth and anything, you're that you you are the richest man in 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 the world. So if that's anything to take away, mate, um, and be comfortable and, and have comfort in, then um then then so be it, mate. Too kind. Thank you, mate. And as I said earlier, my wife, she's also been, been been wonderful. And she is my family. Like, you know, we haven't got kids yet, but me and her, we are 
very much family. So and thank you. I really, really appreciate that. Really, really kind of you to say. Mate, it's been genuinely an absolute pleasure. Thanks, mate.